Hello and welcome to Business Without My name's Dominic Frisby and Ori Clark is a firm of both lawyers and accountants and one of its partners is Andy Ori, my co-host, who noticed that the firm has so many interesting clients doing so many wonderful things and he wanted to find a way to share these wonderful things, these stories with a wider audience and the result is this podcast. So today, I've, I've got a feeling it's, it's Big Pharma today. Andy, who, hello, who, who's our guest today? What are we going to be talking about? I've never quite worked out what Big Pharma means. Uh, but, um... Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, Big Pharma was this thing that I was always had imbued ever since I was a little boy, that it was totally evil, bad and wrong and, and responsible for everything that's wrong with the world. And every time there's a, a baddie in an American film, inevitably he works in Big Pharma in some way. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks ago, Big Pharma came up with the vaccine for coronavirus. <laughs> so I'm wondering if it is quite so evil. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today, but it's a tenuous link to Big Pharma. But anyway, Andy, tell us who we've got on the show We, we are joined by the uh, wonderful Con, and I'll wait for it because you know how good I am pronunciation. Constantopoulos. 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 Con is a entrepreneur. He's he's done a variety of things in his life. His primary business, I, I believe, is a Kisa Farmy, a Kisa Farmy, which is a pharmaceutical wholesaler, particularly within clinical trials. Obviously, that's you know sourcing drugs from around the world and uh, shipping them around the world for testing, as it were. There's another business which is Sintro Health, which is more of a sort of management and consulting services. He also is involved in some manufacture of certain pharmaceuticals and uh, uh, a accounting firm as well. Good morning, evening, Con, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Andy, thank you very much. It's a great honor to have you here. So, obviously, um, as the Americans put it, sort of, you're in the world of drugs, I guess. I mean, my starting question might be, how did you fall into this world? Um, my education was it was a background in science, but after going to university, I just realised that uh, laboratory work was not for me, um, and I took more of a commercial path. Uh, inevitably, that ended me up in a, in a sales role uh, in, in one of the large pharmaceutical wholesale companies in, in Australia. Tell us a little bit about the four companies that you run. Sure. Uh, so, you know, the, the, yeah, sure, there are four companies. That, there's two that I'm very active in. Um, the first one being Akisa Pharma. So Akisa specialises in supplying uh, pharmaceutical product for use in clinical trials only. Um, and whilst it's simply said, it is all about being able to get access to pharmaceutical manufacturers um, and to be able to get them to supply the quantities that are needed with the right documentation to be supplied to customers that will then use that product um, in their clinical trials. So that's a, that's a case of pharma and I, and I play an active role in that. Um, and then we have um, Sintro Health. Sintro uh, is a company that's been set up to provide management services uh, to people running clinical trials, um, specifically in Australia. So what we've noticed is that people running clinical trials globally have got some large companies out there that can assist them in running clinical trials. But in Australia, there's a bit of an unmet need um, where there are investigators, not so much big pharma, but maybe more your, your smaller biotech companies and clinicians and investigators that are running clinical trials. They need assistance to, to basically... Um, they've, they've designed the, the clinical trial, but then to actually implement it 
um, to do everything from potentially um, some manufacturing um, processes and also procurement, and then to be able to supply the product to clinical trial sites or via pharmacy um, to actually dispense the product and deliver it to people's homes and then report any associated data back to the people that are running the clinical trial. So that's an overall management company. Um, and Xenex Pharmaceuticals has an oncology product. That was opportunistic. Um, there was a large pharma company that was divesting their product, that was selling it because it wasn't profitable to them um, and they had certain manufacturer, manufacturing issues and they were going to stop supplying it in Australia. This drug treats uh, cancer and it's an old drug. It's been in the market for some time. And um, there was there was a bit of, there's a lot of noise going on in the cancer community about this drug not being available in Australia. So we negotiated, it was more opportunistic. So we negotiated with the pharma company to buy it off them. And then we had to have it um, reformulated um, to current standards and manufactured and then supplied back into the Australian and New Zealand market. And pre-bookkeeping, is uh, it's basically um, an accounting firm uh, called Preda Chartered Accountants, and I went to the manager director of, of Preda and and put forward the fact that there were certain uh, community pharmacies in Australia that um, needed some administrative assistance in, in running their business. Um, so we set up bookkeeping services to assist them because I just happened to be in a role where I was dealing with um, retail pharmacies or community pharmacies, and I was, um, how could I say it, I, I was dealing with, with certain business owners that wanted to expand, had aspirations to achieve more, but their finances were not in order. And I'm not a finance bloke, but I turned to Preda Chartered Accounting and, and we just basically um, assisted them in, in putting um, systems in place um, to manage their business. And, and Preda was actually the company that uh, I met Andrew from. So Andrew was connected to to one of the manager directors there. So that's how the relationship started many years ago. I think it's worth mentioning two mad coincidences. I received a phone call when I happened to be in Melbourne on business saying, oh, Andrew, we've been given your name. Can you come and help us? And I was like around the corner from their office and was like, yeah, I can come right now. And they were like, oh, right, great. Yeah. And then it happened yeah. again, didn't it, Con? We met in London, had a meeting in London, both of us. Then we both went on holiday and met in Italy at the Como Lakes at this restaurant, you know. He suddenly wandered over to me. So there's some some psychic connection going on here for sure. I was having a beautiful lunch in Bellagio, I think, just off Lake Como with my wife and nine-month-year-old son at the time, and I just knew it was Andrew. I just I just knew. I, I, I turned around and like, I know this voice. <laughs> so I stand up in this foreign country to, go, to chase this, look, uh, where's this voice coming from? And it was you. <laughs> Do you find um, of the various things that you're doing, you know, which one is drawing the majority of your attention? I've always been interested in, in connecting people, in solving issues. It's just, it seems like in, in not just in pharmaceuticals, in anything you do, if it fits within a box, it's very easy for something to happen. Um, but if anything outside the box, it's very difficult. And sometimes those things outside the box are, the, are quite important. Um, and I've just been very driven to, to, to solve those issues and to help those that um, operate outside of the norm, you know. So that, that's what's led me down this, down this path. When you say outside the box, give me sort of an example as in what within a trade framework you're talking about or... 
So in, in, in context of, of what I do being in pharmaceuticals, if you're wanting to access a product that's marketed for a particular disease and you have that disease, then it's easy for you to get access to that product. It's just the doctor prescribes it, you get it from the retail pharmacy, community pharmacy or the hospital pharmacy. It's very straightforward and the whole market is set up to make sure that you get that drug. But if you know there, there's a clinical trial being run, how do you know if you qualify for that trial? Um, how do you get access to that trial? Um, if there's anything outside of the normal uh, process, h- how do you get access? And there's special rules, I imagine, are there for drugs undergoing clinical trials? I mean, I'm familiar a little bit because of R&D claims and stuff I do in life science and you have a right for clinical trials and a lot of people come to the UK to do clinical trials for various reasons. Um but there's a sort of special permissions, I imagine, therefore, to move new drugs about, is there, in order for them, right? Uh, absolutely. And it just depends on uh, what the treatment is. Um, I mean, have a look at what's going on at the moment. The hot topic right now is uh, are the COVID uh, vaccines. And, and whilst the business I run are not involved in them, um, there are clinical trials that have been run and they've been expedited, you know, for obvious reasons. And regulatory hurdles have been overcome and, and the systems all work together to get the treatment to the people that need it most. Do you think what's going on now and the speed of which they've done what normally takes 10 years and a year will will continue a little bit? I.e. people will say, come on, this is ridiculous, this 10-year process. Let's do it in three years or not. It's, it's not that simplistic. So COVID's a great example because it's such a massive problem that's that's dominated the world so uh, so there are companies and and clinical trial research organizations and everyone in in the industry pharmaceutical manufacturers everyone government bodies are working together to get these vaccines to people so they're really expediting things but in general if we're talking about pharmaceuticals they need to follow the, the standard process in each regulatory environment it's there set up for a reason. It's there to protect people um, because mistakes can happen. Um, treatment, whilst people may have done great research, how that translates into actual effectiveness in, in the population can be, can be different. So clinical trials are there for a purpose and there are certain steps that need to happen before you can market a product. And then and they're necessary. Can you expedite something, uh, such as in the case of the COVID vaccine? Absolutely. And, 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 and I uh, am very impressed in the way things have uh, progressed. I didn't think, for example, the COVID vaccine would, would come through so quickly under having been involved in clinical trials myself. However, you know, it, it has. Um, and, and let's hope the result is a good one. Will you be taking the COVID vaccine? Yeah, so uh, look, I'll take it in order of, you know, um, there are, what do you what do you call it, the priorities in terms of your healthcare workers, you've got your people over aged over 70. So when it comes to my turn, I'll take it. There's quite a lot of people who are really scared of the vaccine. Is their fear misplaced or is there a rationale to their fear? Um, look, there is a standard process that, that occurs to, to get a drug to market. And you're basically saying that now we're shortcutting that whole process. So is there reason to be scared? Absolutely. But is there reason to be scared if you actually get the virus? Yes. So what could go wrong with the vaccine? What, what could happen to you? 
Ah, well, I mean, it's just you're injecting yourself with chemicals, Um, you know, so what what can happen to you? Um, So that's the process of clinical trials. It's about determining what all all those effects are. So when you take a marketed drug, um, you know that you've taken something that's been tested over a period of time through a very organised manner. Um, And now we're saying that there's been drugs given to the public that have really got to market in a very, very quick manner. Um, so you don't fully understand what the side effects might be. Um, so that's what the, you'd be worried about and I'd be worried about. We're all different. I mean, that's the, the, the thing that's been going on in the, you know, I was reading again in the New Scientist about it this morning about um, actually about keto dieting and is it safe or not? And it's like, actually, there's this percentage of people that it's really like they're, they're, they're yeah. it's really bad. Like, you know, they seem to have this sort of crazy reaction and all their bad saturated fats and they have to stop. But they're, they're two out of 54 is one of the examples. But it's, it's it, it, I think the more and more we go down this road, we realise that we are all so different biologically um, you know, under our skin, you know, not just blood type and stuff. So, you know, and they, they've talked for decades. Oh, we all bleed the same, Andy. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but you know what? Uh, if you go back in time, we're all looking for that magic pill to cure cancer. And, and now, now it's all about management of cancer, living with it. You know, um, management of the symptoms. So an early early warning as well, isn't it? Yeah, early warning, detection, diagnostics, a major part. But then also, are you going to go after the cancer to and, and also you know potentially damage the host? You know, so is there is there a way of managing the disease? You know, there, there's so many interesting topics in this um, in this area. And what's been your most successful drug? So we're procurement logistics experts. So we, if a company is running a clinical trial and, and they have a, requ- a requirement to source drugs for that trial, that's what we do. So we don't design the, the trials. And, and how's it led? Your customers, therefore, are scientists, are they? Yeah, so with, with um, one of our businesses, they're very much in, what, what you would call scientists or investigators. They're designing a clinical trial um, and they're looking to access certain products and, and that's where we get involved. And that's quite exciting because you're dealing, scientists are great people to get involved with because they're very passionate uh, about, the, about what they do. And many times money doesn't come into it. It's, um, it's, it's, it's quite different to every other aspect, I guess. It's just, it's, it's more about what, the outcome or what, what they're trying to achieve. And they're very passionate about that. And I've dealt with some, um, some great scientists and investigators out there that, you know, they're, they're really passionate about what they're doing. And to be part of that and to be assisting them to achieve their outcome is fantastic. COVID-19, the virus, could have happened obviously at any time in history. You, we, we, you know, there's, we have a history of pandemics, but the reaction that we've had to COVID-19, you know, how quickly information spread, some of that information was false, the false videos, the sort of international panic, the all the governments pretty much copying each other and not really knowing what they're doing. Do you think COVID-19 what's happened could have happened at any other time in history apart from now. You know, in 1995, would it have just been like another bad winter flu? I wouldn't think so because in, in 1995, we were still communicating with each other, not not via, 
you know, Facebook and and Twitter and all that, obviously, but the, but the news was still around and, and hospitals and people were still travelling the way they were and surely um, hospital um, intensive care units would have been overwhelmed the way they would have been, so we would have known about it. Um, the effect is real. Um, that, that's where, you know, when... when, when when, when you have these debates with people where they talk about, oh, it's, it's the media that blow it out of proportion, you know, that, that talk about that, you know, it's, it's not really occurring. People have always been sick. The flu kills so many people and COVID's the same. I've had this amongst family, you know, where you're sitting down just having a, a glass of wine and, and, and just chatting and people being so passionate about it. But the result is there are intensive care units around the world that are overwhelmed. I mean, my, my, my wife's um, uh, brother is also a doctor up north and early on one of his surgeons he works with at 45 dropped dead from COVID and, you know, that yeah. made it very real to him. And she talks a lot to all her doctor friends and you listen to them and they're like, shut the fuck up. Like, it is really, really serious, you know. I'm fed up with this bullshit, you know. That, that's what it is. I mean, the, yes, there are flu seasons that are really bad and, and wipe out many people, you know, but you don't see it on the news with intensive care units being overwhelmed. Um, there are times that it's happened and it has. I mean, you know, you got the swine flu and, and different SARS version, the MERS that occurred that we all saw, but it just didn't affect us. It wasn't as contagious um, and it didn't just move across the globe the way this has. Um, but, but we have seen it before. It's just that this one is just spread throughout the globe. So, yeah, to answer your question, if it happened in 1995, I think, yes, it would have been just as serious in reality in terms of people dying and people being affected by it. Yeah, I was thinking more about the reaction to it. Um, obviously, the disease could have happened at any time. I was thinking more about, you know, the sort of concerted international shutting down of everything because we wouldn't have known enough to do that, if that makes sense. It's, it's an interesting one because, yeah, now you've got a lot more people, obviously, you know, the, via their devices and, um, and, and, and just the, what's on TV to be a lot more informed um, and have their own opinion and to, to then voice their opinion. So um, that's what's different, I guess, now versus what would have been in 1995. Plus, we would, you would not have been able to shut the economy down. They made those decisions because they knew Zoom existed and that remote working had already begun. I think you'd get more deaths because business would have just had to continue. We would have just had to say, right, face masks and social distancing, but, you know, you'll all have to keep going to work. We can't, I mean, can you imagine everyone going home and not working, like the whole country? You know, that just, that wouldn't have happened. You know, you, you, you can't, the economies would have dropped 50, 80, 100%, and the mental health issues would have been too bad. And I, I mean, and that is the tricky fallout. I'm really interested in this growing argument about free speech that's taking place. And I've of the mind that if a society wants to progress, it needs to have free speech and you need to be able to discuss unpalatable ideas and explore them in order to discard them and progress. But if you have censorship, then it's not possible to do that. And as a result, you don't make the same progress. And I think it's particularly important in science that there is a freedom to experiment, to talk and explore. And I'm wondering if you're seeing, you know, is science, uh, for want of a better word, you know, are you seeing the sort of wokeification of science? Are you seeing a sort of clampdown on, on free speech in science? And is that a dangerous thing, particularly in pharma? 
for example, to say that the world was round at one point was a totally unacceptable, unpalatable idea. And sometimes science will say things. But scientists persevered, okay, and, and they argued, and, 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 and many were discredited. Um, but they continue the argument because the beauty about science is that they're searching for, for truth, they're searching for facts. Um, so that's what I, I'm, I'm attracted to scientists in terms of the, the way that their passion is to, is to go after a problem and try to solve it. And they're doing what they can. And um, my sister's a scientist. And I remember she taught me early on that with science, with scientists, it's they get excited by a negative result because a negative result is just that they can then put it aside and then move on to something else, to move on, to, to try to come to the, the solution or what is real. They're truly searching for the truth um, of the matter. And, and they're not bound, and, and a true scientist should not be swayed by anything political or popular. But in a certain environment, you know, if you're scared of being no platformed or something, you know, I'm thinking, I, mean, I, I don't know much about pharma, but I'm, for example, in the argument about climate change, if you suggest things that come up against the consensus, you, you know, the opposite side of the argument is very quick to no platform you and lose you your job. And you know, that's a very dangerous environment for a scientist to be working in. And it takes a certain strength of mind to go, no, I'm going to stand up to this and, and cleave to the truth. There are a lot of scientists who would just, you know, because of the career risk or, you know, they don't want to lose their job or they don't want to get into a fight or whatever it is, would just not explore. So what I'm saying is, is are you worried about the, the clampdown on explorational thought, the impact it's going to have on, on pharma. I, I accept that, you know, the principle of the scientist is to explore and push new boundaries and so on, but it is difficult in a certain environment where there's a, a clampdown on unacceptable opinions. It's, um, no, I, I have faith that the scientists will always prevail because they're not interested in commercial value. They're, they're interested in what they're working on. That's what I love about scientists. And if it's unpopular to, to a scientist after something, they're still going to persevere. Um, and and the, the, sure, some might be um, swayed into doing something else, but those people maybe should not have been in the place that they were. But there will always be um, scientists out there that will keep on pushing and keep on looking for answers to the questions that they're asking. It's just our responsibility if you're in a commercial environment to see, you know, to, to, to help these people along because... You know, in in reality, scientists just many of them are not paid the, um, for the work that they're doing. They're not, they're not paid accordingly, and that in itself is a sign of, of the fact that they're they're truly pursuing their passion and they're, and they're going after the, what what they believe. So, and, and history has shown us, you know, like you mentioned something as the the, you know, the the world being round and people saying it's flat, but people kept on moving and, and, and moving forward and saying, no, the world's round. I mean, there's a very simplistic um, argument here, but um, it's, it's true. They're still moving forward and researching and looking at, at um, ways to improve life and finances to the, to the big questions we have. I mean, Con, that's, it's a complex world within you serve, but I mean, it's a sort of, um, maybe in a way Don was alluding to this at the start, I think for the general public, the, the sort of pharmaceutical industry is just a real misnomer, you know, and, and you've got the sort of American view, which is 
treat everything with drugs. The British view is kind of like, well, that costs money. Can we try not to do that? You know, or maybe it's not the best plan. Where's Australia sit in that? Spectrum, I guess. I think we follow more the, there is a bit of a, um, yeah, things do cost money, but yeah, to be treated by drugs, there is a big movement in natural therapies and, and sort of more of a holistic approach, but personalized medicine is where things are heading to understand that, um, we're all different. And I think someone mentioned it beforehand in terms of, you know, we're all individuals and, and things do treat us and th- things do affect us in a different manner. So personalised medicine is the way um, I think things are, are moving and where we, we see things going. Okay. And what are you most excited about for the future of your business? Um, what I'm most excited about is that I've come from working in, in a large corporate environment in a very organised uh, framework and starting up your own business um, from scratch, uh, it's it's almost like you roll up your sleeves and, and get down and dirty and 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 do everything to get to, uh, to to get a business up and going. And I feel like we've done our time in um, getting the business up, and now we're actually attracting and employing highly qualified staff coming on board. And it's a joy to see them rise and take on the challenge of running our business. So the future of my businesses is really seeing people come on board and, and see it as their future, you know, as, as opposed to something that, you know, we've created out of nothing um, and just having to do everything from, you know, literally um, filling up the biscuit tin, which is a very important task, to negotiating terms with, with, with a financial institution or, or, or a massive supplier or customer. So it's, it's now having people that are just focused in particular roles and actually bringing on board our corporate knowledge or our, you know, corporate training in our business and seeing that actually occur. So now having to step away from day-to-day management and be more on the board or more as a director, just seeing other people take pride in their work and actually that's what they do and that's what they go home and talk about. That's where I get a lot of enjoyment seeing and and that's what I I want to see in the future of our business. Good stuff. And our final humdinger question. If there was one thing in the world you could change over the next five years, what would it be? Just the improvement of of healthcare information that people will get that are suffering um, from whatever disease they might have or ailment or whatever. Just be able to improve the information they get and to be able to understand fully what treatments they may have. Um, because there's going to be a certain amount of people that just want to listen to their doctor and, and, and just do whatever they're being told, and that's perfectly fine because, you know, in, in most instances that's the right way to go. But to have full knowledge of what you're getting yourself into um, and to do that in a safe manner, that's not that Google doctor. Uh, I don't know what the answer truly is, um, but I, in dealing with clinical trials, which is in some instances cutting-edge um, treatments, to be able to give that information to people to understand that, okay, I might be suffering from something, but, you know, what are my options? And having experience firsthand where a family member, you know, has just been served treatment and then passed away so quickly and and to then, um, you know, to have that effect of, well, what, what just happened? What, what, what treatment did we have? Do we even know what treatment we had? Like that's, that's a very, that, that had a big impact on me. 
um, very a very large impact on me. Maybe a result of where I am now, but it's just about you know. Um, you know, could we have done things differently if we had different information at hand? And, and at the time, I remember searching. I, ser- I searched, and it was quite a few years ago, so things are different. But I searched, and, and and it was limited information that I had. So if I can if I can do anything to improve access to information, the right information to people, and to, for them to be able to tap in um, into a network and, and and potentially get different treatment pathways that might improve their lives, then I'll be very happy. But it needs to be in a safe manner. Good stuff. Well, Con, thank you very much. And if people want to find out more about you online, how do they? How would they go about doing that? Um, so, more online, I guess. Yeah, search by my name. But uh, it's it's in what I'm involved in now. Akisa Pharma and Sintro Health uh, would would be the best way to go. We, we have websites um, for for both of those companies uh, and the others. And I, and I think they was gonna. Um, put them online so yeah just just through those would be great or of course what, great stuff actually what am I talking about just contact Andrew <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, great stuff well thank you very much uh, Con Constantopoulos thank you very much it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, Andy and I'll be back with another show very soon and make sure you subscribe to the show so you can catch the next episode of Business Without B- Until then, from Andy Uri and me, Dominic Frisbee, it's cheerio.